Welcome to Tech Deciphered. We bring you the entrepreneur and investor views on big tech, VC, and startup news, opinion pieces, and research. We decipher their meaning and add inside knowledge and context. We also share our insights and experience with you, with unique nuggets and lessons that we learned the hard way. No smoke and mirrors, no BS. Being nerds, we also discuss gadgets and pop culture news. Hi, I'm your co-host Nuno Gonçalves Pedro, entrepreneur and venture capitalist, co-founder and managing partner at Chameleon and Strive Capital. And I am your co-host, Bertrand Schmidt, entrepreneur in residence at Red River West, co-founder of App Annie. We have both been in tech for almost 25 years. Nuno is based in Silicon Valley, while I am based in the greater Seattle area, having previously worked and lived in Europe and Asia. With Tech Deciphered, discover how the best entrepreneurs pitch, how investors think, and what are the deep trends underlying the tech industry. You can check the latest on our website, decipheredshow.com. You can also connect with us on Twitter at bschmidt and at ngpedro. If you enjoyed the show, do us a favor. Subscribe, give us five stars, and or leave a review on Apple Podcasts app or your favorite app. This will help other people discover Tech Deciphered. Welcome to episode 30, our second episode on the metaverse. In episode 29, we talk about our definition of the metaverse. We talk about the key enablers for the metaverse. This episode will have two sections, one first section around the key players, and we will have a section about what it means, the so what, for entrepreneurs and VCs. And a very good segue to what the key players are doing around the metaverse or the metaverses and all these different technologies. And maybe sticking to Google, again, not because we dislike them particularly, I think we've shown them a lot of fondness in the past. But we're starting with another failure, a Google Glass, which I already talked about earlier. I love those glasses. They were so cool. There was so much promise in it and then nothing. <laughs> it was just like, nothing's going to happen. Sorry, guys. For me, it was also an example of something that was hyped way too much, way too early and totally out of context. When you have something for total geek that are only going to touch the most crazy early adopters of all, why do you start to brand it, you know, some sort of, I remember they were showing off uh, celebrities at modeling shows. It was like crazy. It was as if it was going to be mainstream next month. It's like, wow, oh, a lesson of how to set expectations wrong. As if they did everything they could to make sure it was really going to fail. Because the expectations are so disconnected from the reality of how bad it was. Bad maybe is a strong word. It wasn't that bad for what it was. I think it's more the point of what you're making, yeah. Yeah, as we see today, it was at least 10 years too early. And, and you know, there is something in history when people tell me, oh, yeah, we're just 10 years too early. I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, that's, that's not much 10 years, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like it when people make it wrong by 10 years. There are so many things you could do instead, especially in our world of tech, where in some ways I feel it could be predictable. Google gas, total fiasco, because it was 10 years too early. But I say 10, uh, maybe 20. Maybe <laughs> 20, see. yeah. <laughs> the jury is still out for this until we have something really working. What was about this other company that was promising crazy shit and ultimately went nearly bankrupt? 
A magic leap, yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah, friends. By the way, I don't know anyone there. I'm telling our friends just as a way to not throw them under the bus. Yeah, magic leap. But magic leap is a fantastic company. I was from very far smelling a rat. I will call it a rat when you burn billions of dollars and you don't deliver at all anything of value, at least value connected to how much money was invested in the business. I wish them the best in their new version, uh, just focus on enterprise. But there was so much bullshit and I'm frustrated because some of these companies are so much actively destroying value. And we have a lot of people who put years of their life in this trying to make it work when ultimately there was not much, if anything. And it's easy to create hype, but it's another thing to deliver. And I've been constantly shocked. And for me, what's something typical is when you're very secretive about it. When you promote too much hype, you are very secretive of how it works. Typically, it doesn't end well. Either you are fully secretive like Apple and you wait until it's released, and I respect that 100%, or you are very more transparent. You have to be transparent. So in a way, people probably don't like us to talk about Magic Leap because it's making their metaverse effort look in danger. But I would say that the life of tech, uh, there has been a lot of promising companies in some ways that go bust. And a few years after that, you have the real thing coming up. So I don't want to hold ourselves to Magic Leap. But that's also a sign of a market going too hot. Just a couple of notes. One, I think they're now led by Peggy Johnson. We're not buddies, but I have a lot of appreciation of the work certainly she did at Microsoft. So a lot of respect there. Hopefully they'll be able to really make a business out of the enterprise side. A couple of points. One is there've been a ton of companies that have raised quite a lot of money, in, even in the AR space, which is what this sort of portrays a little bit more closely to. You know, ODG, HoloLens in the end ended up at, at Microsoft, but honestly, they really haven't made much with it, to be honest, either. <laughs> we talk more. Yeah. So there's been a lot of these sort of false starts. I think what was particularly... I wouldn't call it egregious, but particularly significant about Magic Leap was, you know, 2.6 billion. Just incredible. It sort of edifies a little bit the case of companies that overpromise and deliver very good salesmanship on behalf of the founder, CEO, and people that are really running with the company. And then sort of this huge delta, what I was mentioning as vaporware early on, right? This huge delta between what they are promising and what it actually can do which is not necessarily very positive for the expectations of the world and consumers and others. So I don't know. Hopefully they'll make a go at it that works well for enterprise. I'm sure they have a lot of tech that they've developed over the years. They better have, given all the money they raised. But it does exemplify these types of companies that are, to your point, Bertrand, secretive, arrogant, aggressive, with the best things in sliced bread. And then you go a little bit under the hood. It's like, I really don't get what's special. And they're not the only one. I don't think they're going to be the last one such as the price of tech innovation. I'm deeply respectful of uh, deep tech, but I feel that Magic Leap is one of these companies that went a step too far in terms of what they promised to investors and the reality of their technology and their business. And at the same time, you could argue some of these investors might have only themselves to blame. I don't know. I'm still deeply troubled when I see that. In some ways, if you think about it at the time, it was a time when journalists were friendly to tech, <laughs> I guess. Yeah. But... People were not questioning much, to be frank. It was just accepted at face value, and I was still in shock about that. Going to a player that I must say I've been much more impressed of what they have delivered, it's uh, Facebook. If there is one player in the metaverse, at least today, that is open and public about what they build, 
It's Facebook. I mean, they built on Oculus, of course, but it has been very impressive. I mean, they went all the way from buying the best company in the space at the time with Oculus to investing huge amount of money since 2014 uh, in that space. And not just money, but AI research, uh, so a lot of pretty precious resources. And it's pretty impressive to see everything they have done. And to be clear, they have probably, at least from my perspective, the best working product with Oculus Quest 2. The only issue, obviously, is that it's not a massive success to the scale. It's really needed to make a difference. At the same time, it's costing this year around 13 billion of spend, one three. Fair enough. <laughs> so, of course, Magic Leap with only 2.6 billion of funding and nowhere to run. When you are facing a player who can spend 13 billion a year in that space. And I'm very thankful because, in a way, they are pushing all alone by themselves. <laughs> the space for all the crap i give oculus quest 2 etc it, it is a pretty good device and it's sort of the closest we've had to real mainstream ready you know vr experiences right so they've put money where their mouth is they've made it evolve as a product the experiences they're creating in terms of software i think are still no jury's still out we'll see where they head and if they really scale maybe they'll be the guys that'll hit it with the next oculus quest and that will sort of untap the whole world or then again it will be our friends at Apple. <laughs> and they'll come out of nowhere <laughs> and they'll just launch it and it will sort of work. We'll see. That's a tough part because if we look at computer history, Microsoft was very early in mobile. Mm -hmm. I had a Microsoft at the time. I forgot the exact name and I'm sure I will be wrong, but it was called HPC. Mm -hmm one of the first iteration of uh, Windows Mobile. Mm -hmm. Then they had the Pocket PCs and the Palm PCs. They, they had so many things every year, they changed binding. But my point is that being first doesn't guarantee you a spot. Of course, of course. And that's exactly what happened. Actually, they had too much baggage. We are not ready to make the move quickly to a new approach. Instead of having a dedicated, slimmed-down version of Windows, what ended up winning, in a way, was uh, an OS built from the ground up for more powerful devices that was iOS based on macOS and that was Android based on Linux. They made the wrong choice and when you are 10 years too early, you are making the wrong technological choice because you cannot afford anything else at the time and you create baggage. And when the time is ready to go big, you might be too slow to react actually. That's a very dangerous game. I'm also worried that in a way, Facebook acquired Oculus, maybe not just for the right reason. I think they realized, clearly so, that it was a big mistake for them to have missed mobile. And they had missed at two levels, initially as an app. And they corrected course quite quickly, but initially it was a mess. But they missed the part of owning the platform and tough for them. They were still a young company to invest in that. But ultimately missed the mobile platform, discovering that they don't really have a seat at the table, not owning a desktop, laptop platform, not owning a mobile platform, not owning a TV platform. It was like, okay, what is left oh this vr stuff is that the only remaining piece left so let's buy it and let's spend shitload of amount of money in the hope that it's going to be the next platform and therefore because i'm controlling that platform i will be the one to benefit the most from it and no one is going to disintermediate me and if you look at what happened with facebook recently where dropped 25 percent of market cap in a day because of an announcement acknowledging the cost of depend on the iOS platform to do your business. They estimated the cost to be a 10 billion loss for 2022, I believe, because of the changes Apple made to the platform. So there is real value to own the platform. The problem is not because you're spending a shitload of money in a platform that your platform is going to win. Unfortunately, markets are not 
working like this. And I've heard people were saying, yeah, they can keep putting billions, they can pay developers to do their apps, and that's what they are doing. Microsoft did exactly the same with Windows Mobile. They paid developers millions to put their app on Windows Mobile and look at how it served them. It didn't serve them well. So I'm not a believer that cash is the only thing that make it work. It goes beyond that. And maybe switching to Apple, you already talked about VR and what will come out of the can there. Their mobile devices are probably the number one mobile AR devices in the world. And by probably, I mean for sure. They've developed a lot of things that enable developers to use their APIs and to make the experiences seamless. There are a couple of areas, obviously, they've gone more into the entertainment space. Have we talked in the past? Apple TV Plus and a few other things. They're doing this Apple Arcade thing, but that's more sort of a wrapper rather than actual play into gaming. I would say the only thing that is interesting to me that Apple is not an app company. They run people's apps, right? They dominate on the App Store, but they're not an app company. So the only thing I would say is their gaming plays are non-existent. They're not a gaming company, right? They have not actively gone after that. And maybe it's a notion of we are the App Store and we are the platform, so we can't be that. But I don't see how they get out of being a hardware company in this world of metaverse metaverses. If they don't go into app stack or if they don't go into gaming, if they don't go into a couple of other things. Again, it might be that's where they want to be. They just want to be a hardware company, an enabler. They have a lot of the underlying platforms that these things will run on. And that's it. We're happy with that, right? But still an interesting conundrum and question mark I would have for one of the greatest companies or certainly one of the companies in one of the most incredible bull runs of all time. How do they sustain it? But I would definitely say hardware, maybe they have a shot and let's see what comes out of there. But certainly they haven't made enough movements on the application layers to really suscite any excitement around being the builders of the metaverse or metaverses. For me, it's very interesting how they've built a step-by-step -step AR kit, uh, augmented reality API uh, development kit. It has been more impressive year by year. You see that constant investment, which make absolutely no sense for Apple if they were not going to make an Apple Glass at some point. So it's a pretty strong bet that it's going to deliver something because when you see the apps using ARKit today on the App Store, it's a complete joke. There is no app with any level of success whatsoever. I'm not even sure Pokemon Go is actually leveraging uh, the ARKit because it predated Apple ARKit. And obviously, if you develop an Android, you need to support an, another system. For me, it's really a clear sign they are going to deliver at some point some level of Apple Glass. And the good news is that they will have working APIs that people know. There might be some apps. But right now, it's a clear disaster in terms of success on the iPhone. No one is building any AR app of interest, again, beyond Pokemon Go. It's not a good sign. And I guess that Apple will be perfectly happy to stay in a position where they are the taxman, where they are the policeman uh, for the metaverse, where they are your bank. I feel that all the pieces of the puzzle for them around that and let somebody find the killer app is a fine position for them. Honestly, Google can play part of that game as well, certainly in terms of enablement and ownership of, of the operating system and the app stores. So it's not just Apple's to play. We will see what happens with Apple. It seems like it's still in a hardware company. That's where they're going to make their money. And then owning the OS and then owning the App Store will make them, as you mentioned, the taxman. Not my words, yours. <laughs> Moving to Microsoft, starting with the big one, obviously the Activision acquisition, the largest ever acquisition, if it fully goes through of a gaming company. For Microsoft. 
Microsoft, this is the funny piece of it. A lot of people don't think about Microsoft in consumer and gaming, but they are the guys, right? I mean, not just in terms of the fact that they have the Xbox and they have console, but they own a lot of gaming developers and significant gaming developers. I was just thinking through it. Yeah. There's only four games that I still play on console. One is owned by Sony. The other one is Agnostic. It's an independent gaming developer. And as of now, two are going to be owned by Microsoft because I play Call of Duty and I play Forza Motorsport and that's it. We're done. So Microsoft, I will have to get the Xbox. <laughs> Microsoft has great games. I was a happy user of uh, Flight Simulator, of course. The latest Flight Simulator is really, 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 really impressive. If you want to talk about Metaverse, the ability of flying all over the globe in real time and uh, based on the real Earth, that part is quite amazing. I'm not sure about the big <laughs> success of billions of users, but it's amazing. It's a player that really has gone after the software layers. They've figured out where their sweet spot is. They're still incredibly big in enterprise. But then on the consumer side and in gaming, they're significant. They're powerful. They have some scale to them that enable them to do a lot of things. So I don't know. It's interesting to me, obviously, despite the ownership also of the console and the console play. But it's interesting to me what they're going to do going forward with Activision. Maybe we're all going to be shooting people all around in that metaverse of ours. <laughs> cool. I don't mind. I like Call of Duty. I love the experience. It's better than shooting people in real lives. Definitely something exciting about what Microsoft is doing. Again, a lot of hits and misses, HoloLens. I don't think they're using much of their original acquisition there, to be very honest. I heard back in the day that they weren't using almost anything from their original acquisition. There was a lot of an IP play around it that they had obviously sort of effectively bought it to have IP defensibility on a lot of things that they were trying to do. But honestly, I've heard that then on arrival for a long time. Anyway, we'll see. I remember initially they created also a good hype. At least they delivered a working product compared to, to Magic Leap. But uh, in terms of success, I think it has been really bad in terms of units uh, shipped and going enterprise on this type of product. Uh, good luck uh, to find the use case and companies that are willing to take a bet to believe it's truly transformational for their teams. It was not an easy one. I guess we have heard some rumors, like everyone, that they might consider dropping HoloLens at some point. And then, of course, they said, no, we are not dropping, but we'll see where it goes. But it's not a great place to be. Definitely looks cool, huh, to be clear, in terms of product. But it's out of place at some point. How do you really uh, move from hype to reality to execution? And it's not an easy one. I'm a big believer of trying to understand what are the use cases, how are people are going to use in real life, how different is it from how they do stuff in general, how they use tech products typically. People forget that phones, for instance, move from a fixed line phone to an ugly big mobile phone, transportable phone, to a mobile phone, to a smartphone, and it took 100 years. Here, if we talk about AR, VR, transformational objects that are moving from zero to one in 10 years, I don't think anything moves so fast. And that's really a big part of the issue is that people didn't have any time to adjust to this. So it will take time. Two final notes on the consumer side, at least from my end. One, a company that we've mentioned in different ways already, but just to again re-emphasize Epic Games. If there is a company that as a shot at creating metaverses relatively quickly. They're the guys, they own Unreal. We talked about Unreal earlier, one of the dominant platforms around the space. They own Fortnite. 
one of the dominant games. They are very actively, they buy a lot of stuff. They own an app store. If you bet against them, probably sure you're going to be wrong. They're going to do something really cool. There's going to be, at least in my opinion, a metaverse that they will create. The second one, which we haven't talked at all, and it's interesting that we haven't talked about them, so the apps in this case makes it even more interesting to talk about them, is Tencent. Because they are such a huge owner of gaming assets, and they have such scalability on a lot of their other businesses. Interesting to me to see what Tencent's going to do. Are they going to do anything? Are they just going to continue acting as holding company for a bunch of great gaming developers and having great results? What, what are they going to play in this game and where will they fit in the value chain? Let's not forget that Tencent owns a piece of Epic Games. Huh? So <laughs> Whatever, yeah. You know, I say potato, I say potato. <laughs> for sure, Tencent is a big, smart company and they manage to extend very strongly beyond games. Of course, they try to position the metaverse, but we'll see how it goes. No, Epic, of course, a, a big fan of this company. They, they have done so much in gaming, in 3D for years. Sometimes it might be too aggressive. But anyway, let's talk briefly about the metaverse at work. And I think for me, at least, the first expression of the metaverse at work is probably Zoom. <laughs> Because it has changed so much how you interact with people, business-wise, friends, in such reliable way. Because before Zoom, doing online meetings was really difficult and painful. And I think they managed to change that. Of course, there is still room for improvement, no question. But I wanted to make a shout out. It's maybe the most basic version of the metaverse. For me, they managed to build something that changed work. It's not the 3D world, though, and it's not fully virtual, maybe not of metaverse. It's not 3D, but again, it depends on your definition of the metaverse. Uh, so. <laughs> so you also disagree with Matthew Ball's <laughs> definition. <laughs> Another one that is 3D is Oculus slash Meta slash Facebook Horizon product, and they have a product called Horizon Workrooms, especially for works. It's a social place for office that you can use with your Oculus device. I've heard some good feedback anecdotally. I know some people who use it with their team to work together in a brainstorming mode once a week. So I've been quite surprised. We'll see if it's more than anecdotal, but it's uh, one to watch. In a more startup-y way, one company that got some traction is uh, Gathertown. You have tried it, like me a bit, was your take? Yeah, I've tried it. Some of my starters have tried it. They quite like it. They've, they're very well funded, sadly, at this stage. They have several competitors, a lot of competitors that are creating sort of these custom worlds, you know, get-together environments for companies. And in some ways, it needs to be a little bit like that. We need to somehow recreate the water cooler moments. And the tools we have today are not great at that. We do stuff sometimes on Zoom and we just stay tuned. We go through what we call sprints or hackathons at our VC firm. And it's strange to all be connected and we're all on mute and doing our thing. And then we convey after 30 minutes. It's okay, but it's still not cool. It still doesn't really recreate that mindset of we jump into each other's rooms or go into each other's rooms and have those water cooler moments in some way it's mostly web and uh, there is a, a beta of a desktop app yeah it's in a web experience absolutely switching gears to the last topic for those that are particularly interested about the so what i'm an entrepreneur i'm a venture capitalist i'm an angel investor i'm thinking of playing in the metaverse space i'm thinking of potentially putting some chips on let's call well positioned bets or high likelihood bets to win the space the first piece of advice i always give is it's back to the point that bertrand was making earlier 10 20 years earlier is 
earlier. And earlier is wrong. In this case, it's particularly wrong because you are at the mercy of a lot of key enablers. Let's say you're an entrepreneur creating a company that is sort of trying to create a piece of that metaverse or creating a metaverse yourself, but you're lacking everything else. You're lacking the devices that are present in the market and are mainstream to be used, whatever devices they may be. It might be that you need augmented reality glasses. It might be that you need headsets for VR to be pervasive. It might be that you need holographic technology. It might be you need a bunch of stuff that's not there yet. And the issue is it won't be there anytime soon, potentially, for you. So figuring out timing is pretty important because if there's no scale in your enablers, be it tools, big picks and shovels tools, the underlying platforms that would support your development, be it hardware, you can't scale at all. Think of it as like a distribution channel. You don't have it. So if you don't have it, you can't distribute it. The only reason why we had mobile app only or mobile app first companies becoming huge companies in and of themselves was that the mobile app ecosystem had exploded and the app stores had exploded and the devices that supported those app stores had exploded. Distribution is pretty vital. And we've been wrong in all honesty about the advent of VR and AR and all this stuff in terms of scale for many years now. So this is not a new issue. So again, just be thoughtful about it. What sort of premises do you have in terms of scalability of your business? For me, that is something that's very valuable both for investors and for entrepreneurs. Final note, and this is a note that I think should be very pervasive in product strategy and in strategic thinking in general around the metaverse space. I've said this at a previous episode, I'll say it again, and this is a strategic thinking that is always valid. We always tend to overestimate the speed at which we get to a revolution in technology. We always tend to underestimate its impact. The importance of this is you probably are going to be wrong on timing. It's going to take much longer than we thought. But once it happens, it's going to change everything. And if it's going to change everything, probably the user experiences we're talking about are very different than the ones we'd idealized 10 or 20 years ago. Maybe some of these legacy players that have been around for 10 years or plus will not have an advantage. Back to one point that you, Bertrand, made as well. Maybe they'll just be legacy because they'll have the wrong architecture, they'll have the wrong user experiences, etc. So again, we overestimate speed. It's going to take probably much longer than we think. We underestimate impact. It's probably going to be much bigger, much more impactful than we ever had hoped for or imagined. From my perspective, as we say, timing is everything. I don't think I would want to be an entrepreneur or investor in a VR or AR-based company because timing is just wrong. So the opportunity will, will take a while to develop and you are facing the titans of the industry from Apple, Google, Microsoft, nearly everyone, maybe except Amazon, are, are putting effort there and are able to burn through billions. So good luck facing that for a while. So I would be extremely careful in that space. Sadly so in a way, but that's a true uh, reality. I think that trying to think more about all these themes and beyond VR is something real, is that the world is becoming more connected. We all have these devices. We are all building uh, digital communities. Again, uh, video is getting better. So if we forget the 3D side, I feel in some ways we are indirectly building step by step something. Yeah, if you want to rename uh, the internet to the metaverse, sure, why not? We are putting our identity, our finance, our digital self online. And in some ways, that's what we have been building in the past. 30 years, putting a fresh paint on your company, on your startup, uh, calling it metaverse, probably has some value if you are 
realistic enough about the game because in the same way that it went up very fast in terms of interest. Historically, we have seen that moving the other way around as well, moving down very fast. So you have to be pretty adept at jumping a ship when this stuff uh, lose steam. But I think that right now the wind is on your back. If you leverage it smartly, that might give you an advantage to position yourself if it's relevant as part of the metaverse. I think we've gone through probably the trough of disillusionment for VR. So there's maybe hope that better <laughs> yes. times are to come. <laughs> sure. And to your point on Metaverse, maybe we're at, as Gartner would say, the point of inflated expectations. So there's still a trough of disillusionment to go through it. And then we still would have to get to enlightenment and all that stuff. So honestly, the upper layers, that's why I think Metaverse for me feels like an app economy. It feels like Metaverses. It feels like stuff that's on top of the application layers, the presentation layers. Interesting to see what's going to be the underlying infrastructure below it and what's going to dominate and whether blockchain, Web3, Internet3, whatever we want to call it, is going to be the core enabler also to these Metaverses or if it's going to be one of the core enablers because it brings all these out-of-the-box pieces that are very valuable for the new internet that we need. An internet that is hopefully more trusted, where there are underlying business models that can be easily deployed, and where at the end of the day, there is a way of sort of compensating the different elements and the different pieces and stakeholders that are involved in the system. So again, maybe a little bit of a plug for blockchain at the end, but certainly... That might be the scenario we're in. Upper layers for these metaverses and the layers underneath being powered by a variety of things, potentially even blockchain or blockchains, because they're also plural. You make a good point to go back to Web3 blockchains, and we will dedicate an episode or more on this topic as well. I feel that one of my issues with many definitions of the metaverse is that it sort of implies some level of central authority of centralized systems, centralized platform. And I'm not really sure that's where the world is going. I actually feel it's going more and more to more decentralization. I'm not sure how some are thinking the metaverse. It's really compatible with where the world is going, as simple as that. That's for me probably one of my biggest issues with the metaverse. And, and of course, when you think about metaverse, meta, Facebook, they would love to make sure that everything happens in their platform and centralized world garden. And again, I just go back. I just feel that everything they're trying to push for and other companies are trying to push for is more centralization when I believe the world is actually looking for less centralization at many levels. That might be probably the darkest clouds on many definitions today for the metaverse. The product guy in me tells me the best products are normally enlightened by one person or a very small group of people. And the experiences we're talking about in these metaverse or metaverses have to be enlightened. They have to be exceptional. They have to be the best. I fail to see a world where the dominating metaverse or metaverses are highly decentralized at the app layer, where there aren't clear decisions made by central entities, be those entities, companies or something else. So I don't know. I may be a little bit more skeptical. I think the Silver lining is hopefully along the way there will be other pieces of the ecosystem or the lower layers of that deployment, payments, etc., that will hopefully be more decentralized and will at least allow for more accountability. But I don't know. I mean, I'm just maybe being too structural in my strategic thinking to say there's no way for the types of experiences we're talking about. Maybe there is a way. Maybe someone is going to show us the way. And this finalizes our duology on the metaverse. We have gone through the definition of what the metaverse is and our agreements and disagreements with some well-used definitions in the industry. We 
talked about key players and what they're doing in the industry. We also went into details on the core enablers for the metaverse or metaverses to happen. And we ended by sharing what we believe should be lessons learned for investors and entrepreneurs alike. Thank you for listening to us. Thank you, Nino. Thank you, Bertrand. You can check the latest on our website, decipheredshow.com. You can connect with us on Twitter at bschmidt and at ngpedro. As a disclaimer, these are our own opinions. We're not representing the views of any company. If you enjoyed the show, subscribe, give us five stars, or leave a review on Apple Podcast app or your favorite app, which will help other people to discover Tech Decipher. Thank you for listening. See you next time.